I woke up one morning after working out the day before with burning pain from the base of my neck all the way to my tailbone. And that was sort of the beginning. In the next several weeks, I started actually getting tingling everywhere else. You don't break down overnight and you don't fix yourself overnight. People need to sort of get away from this idea of instantaneous change. We've become zoo animals in our own zoo and yeah. we don't even know it. Health and wellness has been a massive topic of conversation over the last 10 years. Because of autoimmune disease, some people have to focus more on their health and wellness than others. Today, we get the luxury of talking to my friend Ryan. Ryan has suffered from an autoimmune disease for the last few years, and we get to hear what he has done to combat that and to take health into his own hands. We'll dive deep into this episode right now. This is The Inward Mind. Welcome everyone, this is Billy M. Ward, and today I have the autoimmune health coach, Ryan Brown. He is awesome. If you haven't followed his stuff, you should take a look at it, but we're going to dive deep into his story and a little bit about what he does. So Ryan, you have an autoimmune disease called small fiber neuropathy, that's correct, right? Kind of explain your story about that and explain what led you to become a health coach for autoimmune disease? Yeah, so it's so funny. So I've known, just for reference, I've known Billy for at least two years yeah. now. We have mm -hmm. a, a similar work colleague that we've worked together, and so we've sort of bonded on that uh, tech side of, of film and industry and stuff like that. But also, um, Billy's really into health, and so mm -hmm. we've sort of talked about those things behind the scenes. And my story is pretty interesting because I've always found myself interesting, but also... Um, little about me, when I was 18, 19 years old, I had an eating disorder. I was 88 pounds for like a good year or so, under 100 for probably about a year and a half, two years. Um, and I think really that was the antithesis for how I gave my body, um, or I, I destroyed my body and its ability to be resilient. Um, so I actually developed my autoimmune disease four or five years after that. But I think it was the moments where I took myself down there that really led me to being able to be susceptible to having a lowered immune system. Hormones were out of whack for quite a few years after that without me really knowing it. But I think what people don't fundamentally understand about autoimmune disease, even in the functional health space or the alternative health space, is the generic definition of an autoimmune disease, as you know, Billy, is like when your immune system mistakenly attacks some sort of tissue. Well, I've really come to believe that that your body doesn't make mistakes. And so there's some sort of input that mm -hmm. is causing your body to attack that tissue if we're going to use sort of centralized terms. And as I sort of um, got on my journey, I really dumbed it down to mitochondrial function. We all have mitochondria. They're an organelle in a cell that makes your energy currency called ATP. Now, I know a certain neurosurgeon named Dr. Jack Cruz that I'd like to shout out a little bit that would probably crap on me for saying ATP is the energy currency of the body when fundamentally it's like electrons um, and then stuff like that. But I use it because it's sort of a high level way to look at it. But for me, um, the way my illness sort of came about was I was living in LA at the time. I was sort of doing digital media, uh, social media stuff, um, lots of screen time. Um, I was in a very dark mental place as well. I had sort of gotten out of the worst parts of my eating disorder, but I sort of maintained some of the 
uh, tendencies such as overexercise um, and being really stringent with how I ate and uh, binge eating and then cutting and stuff like that. So I was really putting my body through a lot of physical and mental stress, which is sort of a ripe condition when you touch people that have an autoimmune disease. I was speaking to Dr. Terry Walls recently, who's a very well-known MS doctor uh, in the functional space. And we were talking about how uh, trauma impacts physical health. There's a great book that I think you've read I know Owen's read uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Not yet. I, that's when you told me to read. It's on my list. Yeah, I it's a really it good yet. book talking about how trauma sort of can be stored and cause chronic pain, maybe disease and things like that. And when you think the body and the mind as one thing, you sort of reframe how you view health as a whole. And in a centralized lens, they like to sort of isolate things. And that's why they break it up into specialties. You have rheumatology that deals with rheumatological disorders. You have neurology that deals with like neurological brain stuff, cardiologists, obviously heart, when really all these things are functioning together in some sort of uniform fashion. And when they break down, you, you can't look at one of them in isolation. And that's unfortunately what standardized medicine does because that's the way the doctors are taught and schools funded by big pharma and we could go into Rockefeller and all that cool stuff. Yeah. But for me, um, I was just hanging out in my apartment when I was 23 years old in LA and I started getting a tingling in my left hand in the palm. Mm. And I sort of figured it was um, carpal tunnel just because I was editing all the time, working on a computer pretty much all the time. I was I was literally playing RuneScape on one screen and watching Naruto on another screen. So I, that was literally my life at this point. Um, and so I just kind of figured that's what it was. I went to Walgreens the next day, got a brace. Um, and then like in a week, I started noticing tingling in the other palm. And so I was like, great, now I have it in both. So I'm like walking around now in the office with two braces on. Um, and then not that I wasn't really thinking about it too much at that time. I took a trip home, visited some family. But when I was here visiting my folks, I started, I woke up one morning after working out the day before with burning pain from the base of my neck all the way to my tailbone. So if anyone's experienced any neurological pain or carpal tunnel or anything like that, it's sort of like uh, you burnt yourself on a pan or if you accidentally touch like a flame or something, you know what burning feels like. That's exactly what it felt, but only isolated on the spinal column. Mm. So it wasn't like radiating out. It was just on the spine all the way down. I go to my urgent care doctor. He kind of taps my back and he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that like really hurts. And so we do an x-ray. Um, doesn't really show anything. He's like, yeah, oh, you probably pinched some nerves. And kind of sent me home and was like, just take it easy for like a couple weeks. In the back of my head, I'm starting to now wonder like, okay, so I've had this sort of chain of events now where it was like tingling my hand, other hand, now my entire spine. It seems sort of unrealistic that I would pinch that many nerves, even if it was just isolated to say like cervical, and that's why I was feeling it in my palms, that I would also be feeling it the entirety of my spine all the way down. And that was sort of the beginning. In the next several weeks, I started actually getting tingling everywhere else. So my feet, my legs, my butt, my crotch. I remember the back of my head, the front of my face. Uh, a lot of, I would actually have areas of my face just go tingling from like my cheek all the way down in like a C-shape wrapping around my chin. Um, and it would just be like that. And that's when I sort of like started going to see other doctors. I actually thought I had MS for a while, got some MRIs, uh, knocked that one out. 
Um, and then I eventually convinced a neurologist to do something called a skin fungi biopsy, which is how you determine small fiber neuropathy. They look at the nerve fiber density of your sensory nerves, which are the nerves right under your skin. And they can sort of determine whether or not you have damage there. And then that's when they told me I had that. So then started digging into that. I found that the best place to go for this condition was Boston Mass Hospital in, in Boston, Massachusetts, Mass General. Um, and so I booked a trip there, luckily got a referral from my GP who, while he wasn't, I, I wouldn't say he was competent as far as like, um, he, he never referred me to anyone, but he was nice in the fact that he kind of let me do whatever I want. So yeah. any test I wanted to do, he'd kind of just be like, okay, uh, let's do it. You got to tell me what it is. And he'd write the script. So he actually sent my referral out. So I went there in January, 2020. Um, six months after symptoms started developing for me. And then I went there and I did a couple blood tests and they told me I had something called TSHDS, which I can't remember what that stands for, small fiber neuropathy, but it was an autoimmune small fiber neuropathy. Mm -hmm. And they had been seeing more prevalence of this in younger adults. They actually told me I had something called like juvenile onset small fiber neuropathy. And they sort of told me there are certain things they could do, something like IVIG therapy, which is sort of an immuno immunoglobulin like infusion that they use for other autoimmune diseases. Um, and that was basically it. Although that was like extremely hard to get covered by insurance. So it was like almost at that point, it was like, I knew basically nothing was going to happen other than probably just giving me pain medication like gabapentin. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to do that just based on the side effects and the dependency that your brain gets on certain benzos. And that's sort of when I started looking into alternative medicine. And that's where I found people liked Terry Walls. I got her book, The Walls Protocol, which opened my eyes to what I eventually really got into, which is this idea that when your mitochondria break down, so does your body. And that's basically in my mind, the manifestation of pretty much every chronic health condition we could think of that plagues modern society, whether that be Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, other neurodegenerative diseases, heart disease, all of these things are mitochondrial diseases. Now, that doesn't mean that the stimuluses that created the mitochondrial damage are the same, but if you really look at things under a, a lens, it sort of gives you a way better grasp of how to handle something um, because there are sort of hard and fast rules for how mitochondria like to function and can function properly. And so... That sort of like put me on my journey for like the next two years. And it probably took me those two years to feel the best I have felt in a long time. And there's still areas where I struggle, especially because of the damage I did when I had anorexia. You do a lot of like uh, catabolic stuff when you're um, like 88 pounds, your body like eats itself. So I'm still working on like bone density and like uh, my mobility isn't as good. So I'm working on like mobility and fascial work and trying to regain the health in my fascial tissue. And that's like a long-term process. Yeah. And so something I want people to take away from the discussion today is that it's not something that happens overnight. You don't break down overnight and you don't fix yourself overnight. Mm -hmm. And people need to sort of get away from this idea of instantaneous change because we're used to this. We go to the doctor, they give us a medication symptom goes away or we have symptom management based on a medication and that's just not how health works and i think 
the funny thing, I was talking to my therapist yesterday about this. Um, we were talking about mental health and how people with fibromyalgia often have um, traumatic histories. And I found this to be pretty true with the, pretty much anyone with crazy chronic health conditions. Usually mm -hmm. there's trauma associated in some line of their life that has led to a chronically stressed state. And that leads to a bunch of problems. But we were talking about how he was talking about how like, yeah, people don't really know how like fibromyalgia like happens and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I need to stop you right there. Cause it's actually super simple. If you look at it at a 30,000 foot view with mitochondrial function. Mm -hmm. Now the reason for that dysfunctions could be varied, but I think it's actually really simple and all people really need to do if you're sick and you're listening to this, or if you have some weird symptoms or get tired really easy, have fatigue issues or energy is poor or sleep is poor. You just got to look around your environment and like the reasons why are completely obvious. Mm -hmm. We're so removed from how our biology was meant to function. We've become zoo animals in our own zoo and yeah. we don't even know it. And I hope that's the quote that makes a teaser yeah. or something. <laughs> it probably will. <laughs> but, but that's truly what it is. And like the reasons I still feel some of the like um, negative things is because I still sort of live in this zoo. Mm -hmm. And there's only to a degree that we can change that. But I think the goal is to become as self-sovereign as you can be. Like become decentralized is what I like to talk about. It's like take your health back into your own responsibility. Take your finance back into your own responsibility. It's like all, mm -hmm. all these things like intertwine together. And so one thing I, I, I don't like is like we look at things so separately like I was talking about earlier. Everything's cohesive. Everything's working together. And yep. so the more you can make your life systemic like that, I think all the other dominoes sort of fall into place. Yeah, I, I would agree on a lot of the systemic things. I think people, and I, I love, we'll get into the, your decentralized, he has a podcast called Decentralized Radio and it's really, really good. Um, but I think most people are more dependent on somebody else for their health, right? People are like, well, I, I have a problem with this. So I'm going to go to my doctor and I'm only going to talk to that one person. I'm going to get that one opinion. 100%. And then I'm going to 1000% agree with that one thing. 100%. And so I think that's I think that's a problem in the way that where we're just putting a bandaid on a bullet hole, like for a lot of things, because like, cool, I go to my doctor he'll prescribe me this thing. I'll be good. But there's so many things. And we've talked about this a lot, like that you go deep into how you eat your food or how your diet, how like your, how much light you're getting mm -hmm. and how, grounding and all of those things. So it's just like, I'm, I think most people just want to have one easy fix and they don't want to put in the hard work to fix. When you said like, it was like a, it's a long, it's a long fix for things like your body doesn't break down overnight, but it doesn't fix itself overnight. It takes a long time. People just have this, especially in America, like this instant gratification, like, 100%. well, I just want the fix right now. So I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do these other things. Uh, but it's just, a, it's a crazy thing to think about that. We've gotten to this point in America where we just want, we'd rather, instead of trying a bunch of stuff out, we just take one opinion and roll with it. Well, and it's funny because the one thing everyone needs in order to have the change they want to see is they first need to be okay with where they're at. And that's something that I personally struggled with pretty much the whole time until maybe a year or two ago when I realized like, you know, in order to make a change, like I gotta be okay with the situation. Maybe I don't like it entirely. Like who likes being sick or like mm -hmm. not be able to do the activities you enjoy, but you can't hate your disease. And this is something that um, I've spoken a lot about uh, especially around things like cancers, like you don't beat cancer 
by hating cancer. I feel like hate fuels um, negative, negative chemistry. Yep. And so the first step for everybody is like, you know what, recognizing like, okay, this is where I am now. I need to like myself the way I am now. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like take the positive actions. But people don't like doing work. And so mm -hmm. many people reach out to me and they want like the one hit solution of like, hey, I got RA, for example, what do I need to eat? And I'm like, well, that's like hugely dependent on like a bunch of other things that I need to talk to you for probably two hours about. Yeah. Because I think there are certain fundamentals with nutrition, but there, there is a certain amount of individuality that's important. Like for instance, I have clients that I coach um, in New York and I have a client in Florida. They do different things based on their latitude. Um, I actually have them eating differently based on the availability of seasonal foods. You have way more food seasonality in Florida than you do in upper state New York. Mm -hmm. And you don't have cold really in Florida. I mean, you do, like it gets colder, but it's not like 20 degrees. Yeah, it's like not like it Utah right now. now, not 20 degrees. Yeah. yeah. And really, I think I think everyone would do 100% better if they stop looking at what other people are doing all the time and trying to be like, oh, I got to be like that. And first, like, look at what their environment looks like, what mm -hmm. their, like, situation looks like, and be like, okay, what can I change here for me? Because, um, I mean, there's just so much to it. Like, like I said, it's simple, but when you get into the minutiae is where it gets complex. Like once we start talking about quantum stuff, um, start talking about like electron transport chain and things, that's where it gets sort of fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone should, if someone tells you that there's like a quick solution or like, you just got to do this thing, I guarantee you most of the time it's probably not going to work. If you put all your stake into the one thing and expect like in 30 days, you're going to feel like you're great all again, which does happen. Like I've definitely seen it happen, but it's not the majority of people and it's not anyone I've personally worked with. Usually they've come to me after trying like five or 10 other things. And then they're like, okay, I need to like actually sit down and like really look at everything in my environment and take it into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. And when it, when it comes to searching this out, do you feel like people are, um, too scared to try the natural way for or like after they've tried doctors and things haven't worked? Do you think people are too scared of like stipulations that might drop on them for trying the natural route or definitely? I think that's definitely part of it. I think in general, people are scared of trying something they can't guarantee will work. Actually, like one of the questions I get a lot is like, so if I just like do this for nine days, like I'll feel something. Right. And I'm not going to bullshit them and be like, yeah, you'll feel something. Now I'd like you to feel something, but if anyone promises you something, they, they, they're not telling you the full truth because it's like, there's no way I could know yeah. that it would work. Plus it's like, I don't live with any of my clients, so I can't see them 24 seven. So it's like, how closely are they following the plan? Yeah. I don't know, but I have seen systemic change in a matter of like, I think I had one guy with really bad digestion and he had had, um, the same small fiber I did about a year or so ago. And I was just texting him and gave him some advice and that seemed to help him with that. But he still had like really poor digestive issues. Um, a lot of pain, a lot of cramping, um, bloatedness. And he started working with me and like literally like two weeks in, he was like, his, he says like, yeah, my digestion's like good. And I was like, great. We'll have to figure out what we're doing for the next 
80 days. <laughs> like, yeah. That seems to be have worked. Yes. Um, and so some people do see fast change, but everyone just needs to realize that like, they just need to stop playing the compare game. Yeah. You know, and that's the biggest thing. Cause the, the, the thoughts you have in here do impact what's going on here. And you're not going to help yourself by just being like, oh, it's not working, like blah, blah, blah. Like you can manifest your destiny, I believe. So even for me, like yesterday I was doing pull-ups and I tried to do weighted and I just like wasn't ready for it. And I totally just like uh, pulled this muscle for my trap all the way down into my shoulder blade. It's just like it hurts like a mother. I didn't sleep too good last night. But you don't see me freaking out and like, oh, my yeah. gosh, my life's like all ruined and stuff because i i know like just take a backseat for a minute focus on like just like fascial work myofascial release some massage stuff and it'll get better again that i just work on slowly loading instead of just jumping into something like an idiot like i was yesterday yeah. but a lot of people like when they start feeling a new symptom they'll do what i did in the first steps of like immediately freak out and think like oh my gosh it'll never go away but part of the problem is you need to retrain your nervous system to just calm down I read a book uh, like a couple months in that my, it's actually for my dad. We bought it for my dad because he's a super stressed out individual, sort of like uh, boomer, uh, nine to fiver is kind of what yeah. I call him, like that stressed out. Generation. Just working their job. Yeah, that whole yeah. generation of working that stressed out. I got him a book out. called Calm the F Down. <laughs> and he never read it, which wasn't surprising. But I decided, you know, I'm going to read it. And I think my pain got 30% better just reading that book and being like, oh yeah, life's not over just because I have a thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something to realize too, is like, think about like, you know, if, if you have something forever, does that change who you are? Not necessarily. Um, but I think you do, you either believe you will get better or you don't. I don't use the word. I hope I don't use the word. Like maybe I say it's going to happen. And I just keep doing it until it happens. And that's what worked for me. And that's what's worked for over like uh, 50 people I've worked with now over the last like year and a half. So um, it's, you just got to do the work and it's not easy, but once you have it as like part of your lifestyle, it actually is second nature. Like once you understand things, like I don't forget to put my blue blockers on, like they're just on. Yeah. And so it's just like doing it every day. Like it's hard to see the sunrise every day in the beginning, but once you just start doing it, you just start doing it and then it's normal. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing I want to say on that is there's people that take the one piece of advice and roll with it. And then that's all they want to believe. And then there's one other people like me who keep seeking out mm -hmm. new stuff, try something for a very short amount of time. And if it doesn't work in like a week, I'm like looking for the next fix. And that's yeah. also a problem within society with just our low dopamine stays. Mm -hmm. We're always looking for that hit of yes. something. And so if something doesn't work in a week, I'm trying to look for a new coach. And my problem was I kept trying to find new practitioners to work with because none of them worked out, but I wasn't even putting in the work. Yeah. I wanted someone to do the work for me. Mm -hmm. I just kept thinking like, oh, the next doctor will have it for me or the next functional dude will have it for me or the next nutritionist will have it for me. And I was like, no. I mean, I finally worked with someone Shout out to Ryan Carter, really cool dude, um, who like, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to give this weird wacko stuff 100%, and that's what finally did it for me, was like me putting my all into everything, and that's where I think like real systemic change happens. Yeah. Last thing I'll say to that. No, go for it. <laughs> is 
people need to stop looking at people that don't have the illness you have. So like for me, it was looking at my brother who's uh, generally pretty healthy, like super active guy. I was looking at him and I'm like, when I'm dealing with my stuff, I'm like, well, why can't I be like that? Don't compare yourself to somebody that isn't going through stuff. Cause I look at it as everyone has a bucket full of crap that's keeping them down. Some people's bucket is fuller than others. And if you're sick, your bucket's overflowing. So there's no point comparing yourself to somebody whose bucket is like maybe half full because you're not in the same place as them. And the other thing is when you talk to somebody who is better already or has overcome something, don't necessarily do exactly what they're doing then because they're in a maintenance mode. You might have to do something 10 times harder to get yeah. the 10th of the benefit because your bucket's so full. Mm -hmm. So you need to look at it in the context of where you're at always. And that's a trap that I've fallen into many times. I'm finally in the place where it's like, I have that sort of innate intelligence to do that. But that's like imperative because it's so easy for a client to ask me what I'm doing now as if that's what they should be doing in the same state when their mitochondrial function is way lower than mine. Yeah. You know? No, I get, I think it's been a huge discussion, me and my wife too, talking about this Two people just want to compare themselves to the person who's already there mm -hmm. and at the new success rate. And it's just kind of, it's just a whole thing right now that people just want to be like the best person in whatever niche and this, and this is anything in life, but they don't want to do the work that it took to get to that point. They just want to be there. And that sometimes I suffer from that with video. Like, dude, I, I do video production and there's people who do a lot cooler video work and a lot better stuff than I do. And I just want to be, I just want to be where they're at. And sometimes I, I got to just turn off the social media and turn off the comparison game. You're like, well, the only person I can compare myself to is myself and continuing that, uh, going back off of what has worked for you for your, cause you got, we, we've been talking about a lot of stuff. I know you do like red light therapy and you do a lot of grounding and out walking outside at sunrise, doing all that stuff. What are the things that work for you for your small fiber neuropathy? Yeah. So I think the biggest things are sort of the simplest things. And I feel like the longer you're on your own journey, you sort of develop these simple practices that I think have the biggest um, payoffs. And so I look at everything now in the guise of what is nature doing where I'm living. So it's winter here in Utah. It's cold. I'm going to start embracing the cold. Doesn't mean I need to go do cryo at negative like 180 degrees yeah. um, every day for 90 or three minutes, uh, which you can do. Um, but you can get like the same benefits from taking a 10 minute walk in a t-shirt outside when it's snowing, like I did the other day, and you'll actually improve uh, mitochondrial resilience by teaching them to sort of increase heat. So I've noticed like, for instance, as example with this cold stuff, cause I've always hated the cold always. Yeah. I'm from Wisconsin and I've always hated the cold. Um, but I've always been sort of cold averse. Like I would always get numb feet first in my family. Mm -hmm. I was always cold. Um, and my thyroid wasn't perfect. I'd say it was like subclinical low, but nothing that like come up in a normal like doctor visit sort of thing. But um, what actually made me more resilient to the cold was sort of taking it in doses and just training my body to be resilient with it rather than what normal people want to do is like avoid it completely, stay in a heated house at like 70 in the winter and not embrace seasonality at all. When really like you're meant to embrace all of those things. So I think the, the biggest things anyone could do, biggest things that have helped me are like eat seasonally. So, mm -hmm. Um, now there's like areas that where ketosis can be beneficial out of season. I think that's like for certain, like I definitely did that for a while. 
Um, but you get to a point where it's like, if you just eat seasonally, like get things that are growing locally at your farmer's mm-hmm. market, they're everywhere. Um, eat high quality food. Here's really the biggest thing. Eat high quality food that's seasonal. Um, embrace natural light cycles. So like when it's light outside, go outside if you can. Um, that's okay to use light inside when the light's on. When it's dark, turn the lights off, dim the lights, put candles on. Uh, use things like darker hue bulbs, like red bulbs to sort of just lower the flicker that's in your eye, embrace like circadian principles, which is super easy. Like it's, it's literally, mm-hmm. people just don't want to do it. Like they don't yeah. want to turn the TV brightness down. They don't want to wear blue blockers. They don't want to get red bulbs or use candles. Mm-hmm. That's on them. You know, it's actually a very simple change. Um, yeah. I just turned down the lights. Like I, I have dimmer switches, just bring them down. Yeah. And that's helps melatonin and all that stuff. Uh, things like grounding, which helps you actually uptake electrons from Earth's magnetic field, like intuitively, completely free. It's almost an in- instantaneous change or exchange. Um, and then uh, just getting away from modern convenience a little bit, like not door dashing every day. Um, on the weekends, going outside going to going into the mountains like going to a state park like going camping um basically doing the opposite of what you would do during a nine to five during the week because most people i think the most people have the challenges around like well i work a nine to five how am i supposed to see sunrise by the time i'm at work it's still dark in the winter especially and in those cases it's sort of like a mitigation game it'd be like wearing like the blue blockers i'm wearing right now at the office during the day and then at night using like a red light therapy device to sort of just like give yourself a little bit of extra stimulation. But it's really about using the time you have. It's sort of like the saying, if you want to go to the gym, you'll make time to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Same thing for all this other health stuff is like the time people have more time than they think they have Absolutely. on the weekend. The weekend is your time to take action. And so I tell a lot of my clients like on the weekend, I better not hear from you. You better be away where there's like no signal, your phone's in airplane mode and you're like outside going on a hike or a walk or just sitting in a field at the park mm-hmm. and, and catching the natural breeze. Cause those are going to actually pay the biggest dividends. It's not going to be the supplement protocols, yeah. which I think are great when they're targeted and they have purpose. Yeah. But I've definitely been um, on the back end of like, taking 50 supplements. I don't know what any of these are doing. Yeah. I feel no different. I don't know which one's working, which one's not. And so I actually like to start a lot of my clients off for at least the first 30 days with almost zero supplements to get a baseline. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'll throw a couple in that I feel like are target. Like you and I've talked a lot about methylene blue, which is great. Methylene blue works great. Yeah. It's a great yeah. nootropic. Um, and it, it literally helps your body make free electrons more easily. And especially when you're sick, like that's like a great time to use it because mm-hmm. it actually gives you like a little bit of leg up, if, especially if you're hypoxic and you're just not having proper like energy transfer around, like it's great. Um, but it's like, you don't need crazy supplement stacks. Like yeah. if you're, I should say it this way, if you're relying on the supplement stack to do all the work, nothing will happen and you'll be out hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Whereas if you invest in your natural environment, changing maybe what's wrong in your environment internally in your house, mm-hmm. office, whatever, that's going to pay way more dividends than the supplement stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I can't tell you how many like half used like supplement bottles I have yeah. in my cabinet that I don't, I'll probably just throw them away. But well, I, I also think too, going along with the supplement thing, like a lot of what people are doing now is they're getting like the gene mutation tests, oh, yeah. which 
I feel like a lot of supplements, like they aren't blanket statements, right? Like magnesium is a good one for a lot of people that people take, yeah, but different yeah. types of magnesium affect pe- di- people differently. And a lot of people don't do the research and knowing all like, that stuff. Can we talk like, about how like every doctor that's ever prescribed magnesium prescribes like the worst type of magnesium ever, like magnesium oxide? Yeah. It's like, it. I have no idea what they're doing. Like yeah. they give you the least bioavailable magnesium. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. And there's lots of different types of magnesium and you got to kind of find out and some work better for different people. Like magnesium citrate works really good for me and my wife. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't work for people. Sometimes it gives them problems in their stomach. So it's like, you got to kind of figure that out. And that's what me and my wife are going to do this year is we're going to get, we're probably gonna do that for our kids too. We have three kids and we're going to try and find out what what gene mutations and things and what's going to be beneficial for them to take over the long run instead of it just being like, Oh cool, let's just take all of this stuff and let's throw all of this at you and see if it sticks. Right. Like it just doesn't work that way. And I, and you've read the book, Dirty Genes, right? Is that, yeah. Yeah. That's like a great book for like anyone just to get like, just like a beginner's mindset to like the, the most imperative, I think gene mutations on like a high level yeah, and then sort of an idea of like what to do about it. Here's one thing I do want to say about genes is like, so you have two genomes um, you have like RNA DNA strands, which is mm-hmm. the genome map that they did in like the nineties yeah. or something like that, where they mapped all that stuff. And then you have your mitochondrial genome, which is like 30 something genes. Those are actually the genes that turn on and off the RNA DNA, which only code mm-hmm. for proteins. So I've really shifted my focus to how can I impact my mitochondrial genome, which everyone gets solely from their mother. So interesting. Your mom, I actually feel like I sort of lucked out. In that in that realm, yeah. Um, but you get your mom's mitochondrial genome, and what's happened over the last 100 years is we've had so much change in society through like the industrial revolution, mm-hmm. tech revolution, um, uh, like all this stuff, like bringing people indoors with tech. That there's actually been epigenetic changes in people's mitochondria that are now getting passed from mother to child. So now every generation it's getting worse. So when we watch documentaries like the blue zones, it's actually not very helpful because when you're talking to a centurion that grew up in the thirties, forties, fifties, yeah, they have totally different sets set up than the people living today. Like the way they got to a hundred, like, you know how some people say like, Oh, my grandpa smoked forever and he died. Dr. Pepper and smoked her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his environment growing up hundred percent different than the child you have now growing up now. Like yeah. they're actually set up for a harder existence than you were. Or I were mm-hmm. coming into the beginning of like the internet being big. Yeah. Um, for instance, I use the example of my two year old niece a lot, who's already been given an iPad at two. And those like that lights like legitimately destroying the melanin in her brain. Mm-hmm. The my, her brain's unmyelinated until twenty five, like fully yeah. myelinated. It's like we're setting our children up, despite looking at these other genes for like epigenetic disaster. Um, and mm-hmm. th- on top of that, they're gonna pass that change that they've had as a child down to their children unless they start doing stuff on it really young. Wow. And so. Even with like MTHFR, which is the mother effort gene, yeah, like people I talk about, which is um, methylation is important for detox and and sort of uh, that also has to do with like epigenetics turning on and off genes as well. That's sort of like that master methylating gene. But what people don't realize is like they a quick fix for that people assume is like take methylated forms of B vitamins or whatever mm-hmm. or eat real food where the B vitamins are already methylated. Yeah, but what they're not realizing is that. B vitamins like B12 is actually a photoreceptor. So light actually plays a function in how well that B12 methylated or not is being used. And then on top of that, which is a topic we'll probably have to get into (laughs) off camera is the idea of like, uh, there's a element called deuterium, 
that's in food, water, all this stuff, and your body, your mitochondria hate deuterium. Like they, they hate it. Um, it, it slows their function. It basically creates like a traffic jam for them. So if you imagine your mitochondria producing energy and electrons, mm-hmm. sort of like a highway that's running fluidly, um, what years of bad behavior, toxin load, and things like deuterium do is they make your mitochondria create energy like LA traffic. So everything's stuck mm-hmm. at 20 miles an hour. Um, but no one talks about that in a lot of supplements. There's unknown amounts of deuterium in all of those. Wow. So if we're just adding that load in and we're never mm-hmm. getting rid of it and you're supplementing a ton, it's like, you don't really know what's going on. Mm. And so, and there's no way we could check that really. Like I don't know anyone that's like checking their supplements for like deuterium content. I know. Yeah, I don't, I've never, I, that's the, the, where you said deuterium. I was like, I've never heard of that. I'll send you, I'll send me, send me some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But the reason I bring that up is because I don't want people to walk away from this episode thinking like, I said it was simple earlier, but like I said, when we get into the minutiae is where it gets complex. Yeah. But that's why if you embrace the fundamental principles of like light, water, magnetism, like seasonal foods, you usually can like kind of scapegoat some of those things because mm-hmm. like, for instance, right now it's winter, Utah, nothing's really growing. I'm not really yeah. eating a lot of plants. I'm like no. pretty carnivorous. There's low deuterium in meat and fat, almost zero. So I'm actually allowing my body to sort of offload some of that deuterium I've been picking up throughout the seasons and just normal plants and fruit and stuff like that. But if I didn't do that, because we have access to crazy stuff that wouldn't be grown right now, we can go buy a banana that yeah. doesn't grow in Utah anyways and we need it, even if it's organic. I'm still giving my body these improper circadian signals based on the food that doesn't even grow hmm. here. And so I don't think it's the end all be all like some people really harp on like, Oh man, I never eat an orange in like December. I don't think it's going to destroy you per se, but it is something to be mindful of. Like I wouldn't eat like oranges all the time. Yeah. Um, And even people like Terry Walls always, she's super plant heavy, talks about cycling plants to Mm -hmm. sort of mitigate and the nutrients and stuff like that. Interesting. But um, I look at everything now sort of like a cyclical nature. Like for instance, vitamin D, Load up on vitamin D in the mm-hmm. summer if you can, getting outside. Yeah. This is where a lot of people make the mistake. They don't build their solar callus properly, so they burn and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We can maybe get into that. But then in the winter, they're supplementing 10,000 IUs of vitamin D, and you live in Utah, 41 degrees north. Does that make sense? There's no UV. There's yeah. no vitamin. We're actually sending the signal to our body that it's summer. When it's not summer, we're combining that with cold exposure. So is that good? Is that a positive stimulus? Or are we creating molecular chaos a little bit? And so I think there's a place for all that stuff, depending on how far your deficits are. Yeah. Like I use a vitamin D lamp in the winter, but I'm not using it every day. I'm sort of trying to like, I'm sort of like topping off once a week, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of embracing that dark cycle. And if we talk about vitamin D as like a light hormone and melatonin as a darkness hormone, um, melatonin should really be taken over in the winter. It's darker more. So there's actually more melatonin hmm. being used in the body. Um, Sorry, there's just there's no so, no it, it, we we could have this so four many. hour long there's podcast so talking about things. this yeah we can go so deep into this yeah yeah but it's just it's crazy we me and Ryan have had lots of conversations off podcast about vitamin D and what people should be doing and how processes should be and like when we were talking about methylene blue like I've I started taking methylene blue uh, about two months ago and dude like for me specifically the brain fog is yeah, gone it's wild. it's why uh, like I I sit here and I'm like. There was a point in time where I was just sitting at my desk in my office. I'm like, why? 
Am I here? Why, why am I here? Do I, like, I just feel like I'm working my butt off and I feel like I'm sitting here and my mind is just mush. Yeah. And I started taking, I even took some before we, before, right when I woke up uh, this morning and I just was like, cool, I'm about to do some podcasts today. So might as well take and see where it goes. I did it and too. I, I did the same thing for yeah. the same reason. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic about, and there's, there's so many different directions, things, but kind of going back to where you're talking about, like, Yes, it's simple, but things get complex. That's with everything. People never really build the foundations to begin with on anything. So if you can build the proper foundations when it comes to specifically your health and wellness of yourself, building those foundations, then when you start to complicate it and add more things to it, it's fine because you've gotten into the habit and the process that these are the fundamentals and this is what we're going to, this is what I'm going to continue to work on over time and just continue to build off of that. So I love that you were saying it's simple, but yet it's complex. It's simple until it's not simple. It, it, well, it's everything, that's, but that's everything in life. With me with video, it's simple, like everything is simple, but then I can get complex about every aspect I, of it when I, I've gotten better at it. I truly think the biggest problem with being a silly talking monkey like us yeah. is <laughs> that we have these two beautiful prefrontal lobes that allow us to, uh, you know, ideology, have ideology and like thought and do be philosophical. And, you know, sometimes I just look at my cat and I'm like, this cat is much smarter than me. I don't have to tell it what it needs to eat. Yeah, it just, eat, um, it just knows. I don't tell it like when it wants to go outside. Um, it's always connected when it's like, it, I mean, it's an indoor outdoor cat. So it's always, it's not wearing rubber shoes. It's always connected to the ground. When it gets mm -hmm. too hot, it doesn't have to slather on toxic sunscreen. It just goes in the shade. Like yeah. it's so intuitive. And the problem with us is, we're smart until we're not smart. And I think we're getting to the point where it's like, we've, we're the only animal that's distanced itself from its natural environment. Yeah. And it's like, it's at the end of the day, it's all about returning to that. And that's mm -hmm. like all you need to do. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, it's just, we used to spend, it, it, I saw this in a video from one, uh, somebody online, I forget who it was, but we used to spend 80% of our time outside yeah. and 20% of our time inside. But now it's flipped to, we spend 98% of our time inside yeah. and 2% outside. Yeah. So like, that's bonkers to think that we have been designed to be outside and do things outside, but we never go outside. Even in the winter, like that's like I push myself sometimes to go out in the winter with my shoes off, touch the ground. Like even if it's for a couple minutes, if I go empty the trash exactly. in the trash can, yeah. just because like it's a challenging thing, but also I'm starting to learn how important grounding is. Like bare feet to the earth, like that's super important for a lot of things. So yeah, I just... I, it's just crazy about it, man. But I have a couple more. I have a couple more things I want to talk about because yeah, you, you now have, like I was saying earlier, he has a really cool podcast called Decentralized Radio, and him and Tr his his buddy Tristan run this podcast. Can you kind of give me like the rundown of how that all started? Like, how did you meet Tristan? Oh yeah. And what kind of gave you guys the idea of starting this podcast? Yeah. So in 2021, I was working with sort of my I call him sort of my health mentor. He's the guy that really wanted me to get got me into the idea of health coaching after, but he was the one that really got me to understand like health on like a quantum level and like think about mitochondria as like mm -hmm. sort of the basis of, of health and function. And he was friends with, uh, I was just trying to meet people in the community that were local just to have like friends that were sort of in, into the same stuff. We could like hang out, go hiking or, or whatever. And, uh, he told me that he knew of a guy named Tristan that lived locally here in Salt Lake. And so I just messaged him on Instagram. I was like, Hey, let's get like lunch or whatever. Uh, and we did, and then we just started, got talking and I had sort of been wanting and yearning for that creative outlet. Like we were just talking about pre-show of like why you wanted to start your podcast yeah. like now and like get stuff going mm -hmm. and not waiting for like the perfect stuff. I just had like this yearning to create and like, 
interview people that were smarter than me and just like expand my knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and just sort of like talk to my heroes, you know, and just yeah. see, pick their brains. And I didn't, I've done solo work before um, and it's fun, but I always liked the idea of having, um, and we, it's fine because it's a double-edged sword because there's always like a, a plus side to having a partner and, and a mm -hmm. downside potentially. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted someone that could like push me, push my creativity, push my knowledge base. And I knew he was into this stuff. So I just mm -hmm. was like talking to him. was like, hey, I've been thinking about starting a podcast like and looking for someone to do it with just to like share the load a little bit. Um, like, let me know if you'd be down. He was like, yeah, let's do it. So we kind of like, kind of you now tweedled our thumbs for a couple months. And then we're like, all right, let's actually like do this thing. And then we just started going, like we didn't have like the best tech or anything when we were being, but we sort of had the direction we wanted to take. And we were both into this idea of the way to improve people's health is by educating mm -hmm. patients first. Cause personally, like I've worked with a lot of really smart people like Terry Walls, Francis. Um, and I learned from them. But I, I was actually the one at the end of the day that got me where I was. And like, I even tell clients this, like, I don't, I don't heal you. I give you like my, I'm, I'm just giving you the knowledge I've garnered over time. And you're the one implementing, like you did it. Yeah. I didn't do anything besides talk to you for an hour a week for three months mm -hmm. or six months or whatever it is. So I wanted to make something that was sort of like an education center that sort of pushed our knowledge bases too, and sort of gave us a reason to keep learning. Cause I feel like the minute you think you figured it out, you, you start failing. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah. like you're, there's always more, always to more to learn. Yeah. So that's sort of how I came about. And the idea with like decentralized radio is like just the idea of decentralization. Like we're into Bitcoin and all that type of yeah. stuff too, is that it's just about being self-sovereign, like being like being able to not, like you said at the beginning, like not having to lean on someone else to have a result, like not having to lean mm -hmm. on my physician, like not having to lean on my therapist. Yeah. Um, using those things maybe as tools, but really having the fundamental ability to critically think and learn. Mm -hmm. Like I actually don't even want anyone, I even tell clients this, like don't even take what I say like as verbatim. Like I want you to go back and like read about it and then like maybe come back to me with like an alternative point of view. Cause that's really what this is about is like being able to critically think. And that's what's been removed mm -hmm. from the, the modern stimulus. Like, We've talked a lot, this, a lot about this in the school system. Just like, yeah, learn to take a test. Yeah, you're you mem memorizing learn. something. You're just trying to, you're just trying to check a box. That's yeah. all you're trying to do. You're not yeah. actually trying to learn. So yeah. I just want people to learn to critically think and like mm -hmm. have skills. Like people yeah. don't have skills mm -hmm. anymore. It's really interesting. No, it's because we spend a lot of time on our phones. Yeah. Like we waste a lot of our time. And I've, I've, I suffer from this I sometimes do too. too. Man, yeah. Like I spend a lot of time on my phone when I could be doing 500 other things. Yep. Right. So, yeah. So everybody just give Ryan some love because that podcast is great. What would you say is your favorite episode that you've done on decentralized radio? Oh, man, you guys, you guys have a lot of good ones. I've listened to a, a, a few of them. It's funny. Cause I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's sort of like, <laughs> I actually really liked it. We did an episode on non-native uh, EMFs with Dr. Jack Cruz, who's a neurosurgeon. Cool. That was sort of like, the one episode where I thought just like the whole thing was flawless, like oh, the cool. information was crazy and yeah. there was just great flow, like creatively. Um, that's, that's the one that stood out to me. I was looking at your stuff, your guys' stuff yesterday and I was like, Ooh, that's one I got to listen to. So yeah, that's probably my favorite episode. I literally only spoke twice in it cause I was just so in, into the, like nice. just what he was saying. Um, 
But my actually, that was my favorite episode we've done. But my favorite ones to shoot are ones where like we're in person. Mm -hmm. There's just such a better dynamic when you're with someone yes. in the same room, mm -hmm. looking at them in the eye. There's just so much better dynamic. And the audience can feel that. So like the goal of 2024 is like do some traveling, like get more people in person yeah. and, and stuff like that. Because that's where like I think the real magic happens. It's like over Zoom's good. You yeah. get a lot of good info. But it's sort of like... It's less like we're kind of having a dialogue where it's le it's more like question answer when you're yeah. over Zoom because you can't mm. feel what's going on. Yeah, you can't tell a lot of body language and stuff like that. And yeah, I get that. Where can uh, where can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me um, on pretty much any social platform. I have a website www.ryanmitchellbrown.com. That's R Y A N M I T C H E L one L Brown like the color dot com where you can uh, reach out to me personally or like. Uh, join my newsletter or whatever. Um, and then I have Twitter that's at seasonal underscore Ryan. And then Instagram is just at Ryan Mitchell Brown, just like I spelled it earlier. Cool. And then YouTube and Spotify decentralized radio. So yeah. that's where you can find me all the good stuff. Absolutely. Dude, thanks so much for coming out today. And we really appreciate you coming to be on the inward mind podcast. So everybody give Ryan some love and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.